Today is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. It's 2.43 in the afternoon. Hi, I'm John Williams. This is another edition of the Mincing Rascals podcast. You can hear me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2, and you can listen to highlights of this Saturday nights on WGN Radio at 8 o'clock. I'm Austin Burke from the Illinois Policy Institute. You can listen to my podcast, America's Talking. Hi, I'm Neil Steinberg, a columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Eric Zorn, the editor and publisher of the Picayune Sentinel, a newsletter that comes out twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Hey, Neil, thanks for popping in with us today. We always enjoy your column and we always enjoy your commentary on our pod. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Nice to spend the afternoon with you guys. We talked a little bit off the air about what we were going to do in the podcast, and I said as much as we could start with Donald Trump and Eugene Carroll and the fact that he was found liable in two or three counts, uh, I thought we would talk about some Chicago news first and foremost. And that is kind of its own perspective, isn't it, Neil? Because what we're saying is that's not crazy enough in Trump world to be the lead topic for us today. Well, Trump is, is not like, – everyone reads The Inferno and no one reads uh, Purgatory and Paradiso because there's something about evil that's fascinating. I don't really feel guilty for focusing on Trump. A, there's a chance he could still, God forbid, be president in 2024. Millions of Americans live and breathe and hang on his every word. The irony is here he's labeled as a as someone who is a sexual predator in order to pay five million dollars to the victim of his abuse. And you know, I remember Republican Party. I remember conservative Christians. Where at time that would make them blink. And and frankly, he could twist the heads off puppies on live television. That that's what being a demagogue is. Okay, everything he does is right, and his followers obey him. You know, I did a column today. Sometimes I, I can't even pretend this is significant. I can't even pretend that this is a nail in the coffin, that this is a turn. This is nothing. It's significant, okay, it's, but it might not be a nail in the coffin. But I was uh, sorry to read the sentence of yours. I hereby renounce hope because I do. Because I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't even believe that. I don't even believe that. That's a great sentence. I, I do not believe that. I renounce hope as a strategy, okay? <laughs> In other words— Which doesn't I, scan I, I as on, well. I go on to say that you don't hope <laughs> your way to, the, to victory. And, and so I—you know, one thing, and I give Republicans full credit— they're in there clawing and biting and picking and doing everything they can to win bar nothing. And I think the Democrats, I mean, we don't want to use necessarily the tactics, but we want the fervor. The reason abortions banned in half the country is the people who wanted to ban it cared an awful lot more than the people who wanted women to have a right to reproductive freedom. Yeah, but I, I have a retort to that, and we're going to get to that when we get okay. to that. Let's let's pause now, take a breath, and I want to talk about some Chicago stories, too, because, you know, big picture, guys, some things are actually making me happy today. I do think Despite what we've said so far, the justice of a sort can find a way. Uh, George Santos has been indicted. Donald Trump was found liable on a couple of counts. And the Blackhawks, <laughs> with just a like one in ten chance, won the first pick in the NHL draft, securing their chance to get Connor Bedard, the generational hockey talent from Regina, Canada. Only 17 years old, but poised to make his mark in the NHL this year. That really lifted my spirits this week. Maybe that's how desperate Chicago is for a good sports story. Like, when's the last really good sports story Chicago had? Uh, this is it. This is the best sports story we've had in a long time. Hasn't been a baseball Chicago, story. I'll, I'll say the Chicago Sky winning the uh, WNBA year and a half ago. Yeah. Also, NAS, NASCAR is a sport, for the record. <laughs> and that's a good sports story. <laughs> but life in Chicago is not all roses. Mayor Lori Lightfoot declared a state of emergency. We need help with the influx of migrants. We typically have 3,000 beds for homeless people. We've added 2,000 more, and the Wall Street Journal's count today. All of those beds are full. Half of Chicagoans also, this is a story in the news this week, say they have witnessed a shooting by the age of 40. Half of Chicagoans, according to a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, say they have witnessed a shooting. Do you guys buy that story I would love to. I think that that study was just published or a working paper was just published on that. And I think we need to look into the data because on its face, it seems truly preposterous. Um, it basically said that half of all black and brown Chicagoans over a 20 plus year period had witnessed a shooting. Um, we have a few thousand shootings a year. 
Neil, you were talking about the average people who witness a shooting. I would say, I don't know, the average shooting has five to ten witnesses. Uh, It doesn't add up, especially when you consider the very small percentage of the city population doing the shooting. Uh, if if uh, half of all Chicagoans were shooting people, maybe this would be um, I, I, more I think it depends on the word, as it stands, word it witness. witness yeah. I mean, think, think about what's natural when there's an event. There's a crime uh, uh, at a certain street corner. You think, oh, my God, I was just there two weeks ago or whatever. So maybe they've opened that word up so much that that I mean, I, in other words, I, I agree with Austin. I think it is preposterous, but I don't want to imply that we're diminishing the the impact of violence in areas of chicago which absolutely is absolutely not but I, I and i would say so there are organizations like you can which i've worked with for a long time they're based in north lawndale their mission is uh their vision is that youth who have suffered trauma can become our future leaders and many of the youth who are there are there because they were uh experienced severe trauma after seeing someone that they love shot and killed I don't think hundreds of thousands of Chicagoans have seen that. I think it's more like and also, hundreds it's a of damaging stereotype. I mean, we want to be in a city where people can go from one place to another. Uh, sometimes writers will write in and say, you know, would you let your kids do this? And I, I've sent them a picture of me and my son in, in Englewood handing out sandwiches with the night ministry, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is as, as much as there is a lot of violence in parts of the city, it's 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 usually at certain hours you you know it's still a decent place to be and and you don't want to create the impression no. that there are these war zones where people are being slaughtered left and right. But you know I I I get on that bus or high horse sometimes too. But my son went to see Into the Woods at the Nederlander Theater the other night, so it was a weeknight and it was about the show let out. I think it was seven thirty. The show started, so he's out around ten ten thirty, and he's taking the red line back or maybe the brown line, but. He he was, he was going to take the L back, and I said, I will pick you up. And he said, I will be fine. And he took the CTA, and it was fine. But I I don't like that. I, I, I hate to say that. But there I was, a little moment of truth. That was my boy. Brandon. I would have done the same, John. I, I don't, you know, that, that I don't think that that's race hatred. I, I, I just think that it's, you know... Uh, I mean, again, I think it's hour specific. After 10 o'clock, it's a different city. The average age, according to this study, is 14 to have witnessed a shooting. The average age of being shot is 17. I mentioned over 2,000 Chicagoans tracked for 25 years. In fact, 7% of the witnesses had been shot themselves. A quarter of whites, as Austin pointed out, Chicagoans say they've witnessed a shooting and over half of black and brown residents. Maybe it's you were at Taste of Chicago. There was a shooting there. Well, hell, there's 200,000 people at Taste. So did you witness a shooting? You witnessed the chaos or the aftermath? Yeah, I mean, the idea that people actually saw the bullet leave the gun and strike another human being versus the people who say would come come upon a shooting moments after it happened i mean there's all kinds of ways that one could quote unquote witness a shooting and i think you're right to be a little suspicious of how many people because i did 10 people actually witness every shooting i think a lot of shootings take place you know one or two people and and uh so yeah it's a it's a dubious statistic and i'm not exactly sure what it is supposed to establish uh you know neil brought up the idea that it, it almost seems like it's designed to sow panic like people are like, oh, I my think God. The, the idea that researchers would put this out is, I think, connected to the idea that this is a public health crisis, that there's enormous amount of externalities and trauma generated by gun violence. That's my expectation. And what I worry is that that definition was expanded in order to f- propel that kind of a narrative. Mayor Lightfoot declared a state of emergency about the crush of migrants that are coming into Chicago. 8,100 of them have evidently come through of late. 5,000 beds are currently being taken. And it's still frustrating to see the Congress one week in, since we spoke about it last week, not having said anything specific about what they can do or are willing to do. As we talked about, I think, last week, that this is this is really a federal problem. I understand what Governor Abbott is doing in Texas. He's basically calling the bluff of these cities that have performatively in some ways declared themselves to be sanctuary cities and said, OK, you're sanctuary cities. Here you go. Provide some sanctuary. Uh, I think it's it's deplorable that he's using these human beings as bargaining chips or as political pawns. 
But I, I understand that he is saying, like, look, my state is being overwhelmed by this, this situation. And it is not it sh- this is not a Texas problem. This is a United States of America situation that we need to deal with. And so he's spreading it around in his cynical way. But I, I mean, I, I get I get what he's doing. And I think that the mayor is correct to, to call out as much in the way of resources as she possibly can. And I saw the picture again today. This was, I think, in the Wall Street Journal, and it showed a family that's sleeping in the Chicago police station. Venezuelan newcomers Jorge Vargas and his wife Guadalupe and their children are among those who have been staying at a Chicago police station while they wait for space at a shelter to open. And they describe how every day he gets on a phone and he calls the area shelters to see if they have room for him, and they don't. So there's this man. He's a good-looking guy. He worked construction when he was in Venezuela. She had some sort of part-time job. They came to America. Probably not the best plan, but here they are. And their kids are adorable. They look like my kids and your kids and grandkids, and they're just these sweet little, like, eight, nine, two-year-olds. And what a weird and traumatic life this must be for these kids to be sleeping at a police station in Chicago. Uh, who knows what they went through to get there? I don't know if you saw the piece about the Darien Pass that a lot of these people have tried to make their way through, but it's just amazing what the, the this family has had to endure. John, I think we should draw a line between your fir- the, the first topic, Trump, and, and this topic, because because we demonize these immigrants, we don't realize that, A, we're a nation built on immigrants. B, we desperately need them. We need them to fill jobs. We need them, you know, if we look at other industrialized countries, Japan, Italy, etc., they're hollowing out because they don't have this flow of immigration. What we should do is work out a legal system so people who want to come here can become, you know, there's a myth that these people are somehow degrading us or harming us. They're rapists, they're criminals, blah, blah, blah. They're not. They're the future grandparents and parents of solid American citizens, and we should treat them that way. We should get the money, get the things. I mean, I give, you know, Lori Lightfoot, I'm no fan of hers, as you know, but I give her credit. She's leaving in a week. You know, she should just be stealing pens and packing boxes. <laughs> and uh, and the fact that she did this shows she's still kind of on the ball. What did she uh, do? I, she did what? That she declared an emergency that she's oh. turning attention a week before she, she walks out of office on this pervasive problem that she's done not enough about, obviously, over the past four years, but you can't fault her for that. You know, th- this is something that we should care about, and this is something that we sh- – again, it's like, like getting back to the crime thing. We should not be afraid about. These, these are these are people who come here to improve their lives in the, in the main. But nobody's described – like a lot of times when we have one of these – polarizing issues, even if it's about immigration, well, then sign DACA. You know, here's the legislation, sign it, and then we'll patriate these young people. But I I don't – I look at the uh, video of these people swarming at the border, and I'm like, build a wall. I don't know what to do. It's like I have have no clue if I were king or president what I would or should be doing today. I think most of the country is in agreement that you, one, have to know who is coming across the border and who is leaving. It's one of the basic functions of a country. And I think most people are okay with enforcing immigration laws that are currently on the books. So it's a two-pronged attack. One, you have to enforce immigration laws currently on the books. And second, you have to make it uh, as easy as getting a driver's license to become a citizen of the United States or somewhere in that realm. So uh, most people agree on this issue, and it's really sad that it's taken a political stunt from the governor of Texas to force a conversation at the federal level. And you saw the president talk about this in still sort of a flippant terms where he said, yeah, it's it's kind of going to be chaos on the border." He used the word chaos on the border and that it would be like that for a while. Um, that's really concerning. I do think it's important to ask the Chicago Teachers Union, who sent a delegation to Venezuela and said that they did not see poor people there and that the education system was great and ask why people are fleeing there to a better life um, in our city. I do agree that we should be welcoming of them, but I think it highlights. When did the, the CTU do that? Austin? That was in 2018 or 19. Really? Um, big controversy. Members of their House of Delegates went to Venezuela and said, we have a lot to learn from there. And we didn't see poor people on the streets like we do in Chicago. CTU sent a delegation to Venezuela 
to learn about what? All the amazing things that the government of Venezuela <laughs> is doing. Don't you know? I no. Mean, that, that was, it was a big controversy even within the union because there's so many teachers in our city who think that's crazy. Uh, but that was what the members of the House of Delegates did. I think actually Jesse Sharkey had to make a statement saying, well, this no, this wasn't approved in any way, but this was leadership in the union going to go on a field trip to Venezuela and come back and tell people how how fabulous it was. Maybe when they cross the border, just hand them a social security card and say, okay, you're number 2736948. Uh, you'll start paying taxes and into social security as soon as you secure work. Now uh, get to work or, or something Sounds like that. Let's talk a little bit about the E. Jean Carroll story. Eric, were you surprised by the two out of three counts for which the former president was found liable? No, not at all. I, I mean, I thought that given that it was a New York City jury and that uh, the, the testimony that she gave was fairly riveting and that Trump didn't show up for the trial, didn't bother to, to, to be there to deny the charges in person, uh, it all seemed to add up to me to be uh, a, a verdict in favor of Carol. I, I don't quite understand how they got to sexual assault but not rape that I guess they that she, maybe she was a little unclear in her testimony as to whether he actually penetrated her or, or I don't I don't didn't follow that exactly but but it, it's a fairly resounding defeat for Trump and I, I, I guess I have to agree with what Neil said earlier which is that it probably isn't going to change the minds of very many voters that that this is all baked into the Donald Trump pitch. As, what do you guys mean is. by that? It's not going to change the mind of many Donald Trump voters. Uh, as I said in the paper today, John, once you get in the habit of ignoring reality, the specifics of the reality that you're ignoring, they don't really matter. I, I just need to know who the who is in that, though. I, I understand. In other words, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump last time. 70 million people are not going to vote for him this time, in part because of stuff like this. I, I disagree with that. I, I, I think that if you vote, if if in 2016 you said Donald Trump is my guy and you still haven't figured it out that, that what happened to Tuesday in New York City, what's that? In other words, once you can identify anything that you don't like as a fraud and a lie, then they're still frauds and lies. She, she's nuts. Just another woman jealous. She probably wants to sleep with Trump. I believe, it's, I believe but, it's whack job, by the way. Whack job, going. exactly. So, so in other words... I mean, look at Donald Trump. If that's your guy, given who he is, you know, I, 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 I've never heard from someone who said, you know, I'm I'm used to be big for Trump. What they start doing is they go, I'm not a Trump supporter. And then they they, they vomit out the Trump line and attack Biden and his son and present the laptop as the most. Significant Some people event. do. Some people do. If you go to 2016, there are people who could not vote for Hillary Clinton and justified it the way you're describing. I, I don't know that the same dynamic took place in 2020, but I just think that there's going to be a thinning of that herd. There's going to be some gravity to all of these things. But, but this is the hope thing I was talking about. What's that based on, John? I don't know. I'm going to push back on you, but... Based on what? Based just based on your heart as an American and a human being. I'm thinking of Republicans who, who didn't want to vote for a Democrat, and so they voted for Trump. But they don't like Trump. They don't drink the Kool Aid. They just don't like Biden, and they couldn't vote for Hillary. And uh, put it this way: I think they're not going to be motivated to vote for Trump in the next election because of the heft of all of this stuff. I, I absolutely. I, I'm hoping that that terrified Democrats come out in horror. And, that too. and somewhat embarrassed Republicans stay home so much that, that Biden's too. Sweet. Did I hear Neil Steinberg invoke hope? Yeah, again, I, 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 I just renounced it. Yesterday. Only as a strategy. Well, Eric, what, Eric, well, here, 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 you know, my take on this is that a verdict like this is probably not going to change any votes, but it might depress certain people who are thinking about going out and voting for Trump and just can't do it. You know, kind of kind of the way I couldn't vote for Brandon Johnson. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I just I got in the voting booth and I couldn't do you voted it. for and nobody. I, I'm thinking that nobody. might happen. I know, I know, I know. And, and I but I can see I can see some Trump. Some Trump supporters saying, well, I, I can't pull the lever for Biden, but I also can't vote for Trump. I'll vote for these down ballot races, but I will not vote for Trump. I think that could happen, especially if he's indicted in Georgia, which I think is a pretty distinct possibility at this point. But at some point, you got to say, and Neil, your column today 
kind of ticked off all the, uh, the offenses of Donald Trump that that ought to have that you what do you think you refer to it as the pile of offenses that he that uh, we we could throw this onto, you know that that those are are undeniable and that at some point they accumulate so much weight that that you just as a voter. Even even if you don't like anything that Joe Biden has done, you just can't let, go let and put a check Let me back mark. to January 6th, 2021. If, you do, if fomenting a riot, a, re, a rebellion in the Capitol with your supporters did not sour your stomach, what's going to sour your stomach? You know, I, I don't see what, how this magical thing is supposed to happen. I think they kind of dig it. You had a preview in the midterms. I mean, just look at that, Neil. Allow yourself that, that uh, the influence of Donald Trump uh, in the last major election did not carry that much weight. Absolutely a positive sign. I am, you know, it's a beautiful spring day. I'm <laughs> in a good mood. I am not doom and gloom. Believe me, I'm no Joe Biden fan. It it, it was a malicious God that sent him to be our savior, but there he is. And and I I can't see the argument that he should step aside so so Gavin Newsom can take the mantle. I mean, name recognition is probably half the battle. And I I think we're just stuck with it. No, I agree. And I think that's sort of, I might have said this a couple of weeks ago, but I think this is another win for like political apathy in the next presidential election where there are going to be large swaths of people who cannot stomach a vote for either candidate. People don't want these to be our choices at a level that is unprecedented. And that was very clear in the ABC News Washington Post poll that came out over the weekend, which is that that. This is a, going to be a very unpopular race. That neither party really wants these men to be their standard bearer. And I'm thinking, like, what what those numbers would have been when it was, say, Romney against Obama, uh, for example. Uh, I, I think most Democrats were pretty happy with Obama, probably up in the 80s, and I imagine most Republicans were pretty pretty content with Romney, probably 70s, 80 percent. And and you're seeing much much lower numbers now. And I I, I just wonder if at some point. People in the Democratic Party particularly are going to say, look, Joe, there's so many factors running against you here, and we're going to be going up against Donald Trump. And if there's a chance that you're going to, it's going to depress the vote, that people don't think that you are capable of doing this job, let's rethink this. Let's have an open primary. Let's let's uh, open up this nomination. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but, but uh, gosh, I wish it would. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Diane Feinstein, again and again, you know, I, I don't, I, politicians, once they get there, they don't want to leave, even if, even if it's destructive. And, and, and it's a shame, you know, people are selfish and it's tragic. And, and it's Democrats as well as Republicans. And I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but I, I think the, the, one of the craziest downstream effects of this that I don't know if people aren't talking about a lot because it's so early and poll numbers are so kind of volatile at this stage, but Kennedy polling at 20 plus percent among Democrats, like you have an open anti-vaxxer polling at 20 percent in a Democratic primary like that. You know, it is crazy, but I think that's because people see the Kennedy name and it still has some uh, whiff of majesty to it among a lot of people. But when it comes right down to it, Chris Kennedy did very poorly when he ran for governor here that when you really start looking under the hood at some of these these shirt tail Kennedys. He's not JFK, and I think people are going to real. I, I don't think people really know much about his crazy anti Right, but for stuff. him to be Ralph Nader, he only has to siphon a little bit away from Joe Biden and its President Trump. I mean, I I, I see that him as being a very risky candidate. Well, he's run, He's not running as an independent, fortunately, not yet. He's running as a Democrat, and he's no, no way is he going to get the domination, right? So, so if there's going to be a Ralph Nader, it's going to be one of these independent candidates who runs and, and siphons off enough votes to deny Biden some electoral votes. I want to go back for just a second to the the, the civil case against Donald Trump by Eugene Carroll. Were you guys surprised that they allowed the Access Hollywood tape to be shown? Um, none of us are attorneys. But I, I, I've heard analysis of it both ways, and that was one of the things that Trump's attorney said would give him cause to file an appeal. No, but it shows – if I'm accused of hitting you in the head with a hammer and there's no tapes of the event, but there's a tape of me going, I walk up to people and hit them in the head with a hammer, it's fun. 
that's relevant. You know, I, I, I mean, obviously it's damaging to him, but I don't see that as something that that is like a wild out of left field legal thing that shouldn't have been allowed. So they're similar enough, the accusation and his bragging to Billy Bush that you think that lent credence. Right, to I'm what he famous. Was I can say. go grab women by the. <laughs> did you, did you, you saw the headline in the New York Post today, grab yes. him by the wallet. I, I wondered how he's ever going to pay. I mean, that's another thing, you know, Trump paying his debts. I mean, you know, for five million dollars, he puts out a mailing and he gets it. So, you know, it's it's we shouldn't get caught up on that figure either. It's not the worst punishment. It, it, he couldn't have had a worse response to it. In the de- in the deposition, he could have said something like it was an artful thing to say, or so- this was you know he could have said the, the locker room talk thing that he said at the debate, right? Instead, he said, "I you look over the last million years, I guess that's largely been true that this happens." And he, said, and he and says, when, he when says he, "Unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, or it, fortunately." And and you're you're on the other side, and you're saying, "Oh, I'm trying to establish like a pattern of behavior and thought," and you have a guy here saying, "Well, this is as." This is like older than apple pie. This is older than sliced bread. This is part <laughs> yeah, of women. They all want humans I mean, are like this. He is who he is. That's that's his 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 down his tragedy and his glory. You know, and and again, you and I might look at that as just a buffoonish character, and people adore him for that. We can't wish them out of existence. It's funny to watch him say that too, because it wasn't like him at a rally. It was the thoughtful Donald Trump where he says, well, you know, for millions of years and uh, unfortunately or fortunately, he added that on like or and I I wonder what was going through his brain. And you say it again. This has become very famous in this video. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything Grab them by the p- you can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. It's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the p- Well, that's what, it's, if you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. That is a rich guy, New York City thing to say. If you guys remember when someone <laughs> asked him about Jelaine Maxwell... He has these moments where, and someone asked her about him, and she was charged. And he goes, he gave uh, like a a tag to whatever his response was, where he said, "But I wish her well." (laughs) You don't politicians don't say stuff like that. That's the same thing with this. Unfortunately, or fortunate, that's just sort of like a a weird consequence of sort of the culture that he was raised in, or something. I don't know how to explain. And it sounds very political, though. He doesn't want to offend people who think that this is okay to grab women by the genitals because maybe they're going to be voters. So you say, well... And he's one of them. (laughs) Right. But the thing, you know, I was prepared once for a deposition in a lawsuit. It was a long time ago at at the... Someone sued the Tribune and I was tangentially involved. They spent about eight hours with me going over every possible question that could be asked at the deposition. This is what good lawyers do. I can't imagine that that Trump's lawyer didn't try to prepare him for, for the deposition moment. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, and you go, you go through all the questions. You role play. You do the whole thing. You you get someone who's really aggressive in 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 your role playing sessions to ask those really tough questions, and then say, "No, Donald, don't say." Right. Fortunately, Donald, so then when he does, if that attorney had a little thing like testify yes, testify no, he crossed the no box right then when he said, or more fortunately, then well, boy, are we not putting you on the stand? We are not going to let you defend yourself. Although at the end of the day, it was kind of a he said, she said, or as Rich Lenkoff, an attorney we had on today, said, "Well, it was a he said, she said, she said." And she said, "23 or 20 is, is she's right." I mean, there's so many. Women well, those are the accusations, but they weren't all introduced as evidence in the case. Uh, a couple of other women testified, but at the end of the day, it was his word versus theirs. And the jury, you know, I don't want to be too hopeful about what transpired, but I was glad to see that in America, a former president who has a pool of popularity out there, and Neil thinks still could get reelected president, can be found guilty on. Uh, two or three charges like that, albeit two of the lesser charges. But I'm like, okay, okay. I was curious about the $5 million in that I don't think that's noticeable or too injurious to Donald Trump. But 
there wasn't she didn't even ask for a specific amount didn't hear the amount when it was announced because she was just smiling and walked out of the courtroom or something like that the reporting i heard was that she wasn't even aware of the amount if five million dollars doesn't mean a lot to donald trump it may mean a lot to her both sides could count some measure of success as a result of this case right trump wasn't found liable for rape He's got $5 million. She won on two or three accounts. She's got $5 million. I, I scored as even almost that way. I, I d- disagree with who, who wins? Even. Who wins in oh, this case? Oh, oh, oh she, won- she wins, clearly. He's been accused in court of being a, a sexual predator and has been convicted in this court. Now, I know it's not a criminal charge, but that that's a defeat. I mean, I, I mean, I know that it may not have made that much difference at the ballot box, but well, that's definitely a defeat. I guess she so. Won, that's, he lost. But that's that's what I think almost politically. Neil, how how do you score this? I was thinking of Alex Jones and Infowars. I was thinking, you know, she shouldn't count that five million dollars. She has to get it first, and that that could be another few years, um, if ever. I'm just saying, is is the 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 the, the perverse bad faith of the man is bottomless and i guess that, that that's why i didn't want to put too much emphasis on this moment because it's you know with trump tomorrow will be you know, he, he's going on cnn tonight yeah. and i guarantee whatever he says on cnn we will forget e Jean carroll right and we'll be on to that because that's that's what we, we we've been we've been being dragged behind this truck for seven years now there's an op-ed in, uh, was it Rolling Stone today? Pete, where did we see that piece? By one of the officers who now does work for CNN, and he is taking umbrage with the fact that they're giving him the platform. He doesn't think that this guy who fomented an insurrection and has been found guilty, liable for two of these three counts, he doesn't think they should give him the network. Don't give him the We're channel. talking about CNN, the people who had the Malaysian airliner hologram every day. It was like performance art. I mean, I don't blame them. They're, they're trying to get eyeballs. I, I don't even blame people for tuning in. I might tune in. The day that Trump isn't interesting will be the day that I celebrate. You just made me think of something that one of our guests said on the radio this week, Neil, and it was about the Naperville gun shop that is suing the city and the state because we have a law that says that you can't own or sell assault weapons in Illinois, and Naperville has an ordinance like that. So this gun shop owner there is suing them, and he gave out his address on the radio, his email address, and he said, write to me, and if you can convince me that stopping the sale of these assault-style weapons will reduce these kinds of mass shootings, I'll quit my job and sell pizzas. I'll deliver pizzas for a living. That's insincere, John, because you can look at the 10 years when assault weapons were banned uh, in the United States, and and it did go down. And you look at states where they're controlled, and such shootings are are fewer. I mean, you have to say, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know that's what the dynamic is here: gun manufacturers and shops, and people who sell quick holsters and all the accoutrements make a ton of money. They give it to politicians, and the politicians do what they want. And I don't know why. We, we should just form an anti-NRA and give it all our money and give that money to politicians. And then, then, then <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I, so far, it's, I don't know if it's about corruption so much as it's about enthusiasm, that the people who are really behind protecting gun rights, they, they vote on that issue. They are energized by that issue. They donate based on that issue. The, the vast majority of Americans who are in favor of the red flag laws, who are in favor of, of increased background checks – they aren't as organized or energized, and and that's I think where you get the uh, the strange discrepancy between what our politicians do and what the what their constituents want them to do. Yeah, I agree, I, and that's the power of the NRA. I don't think comes from their money. Their their political spending is dwarfed by other groups, but it, it comes from their ability to sway a large motivated voting block. Um, that that is really where their power comes from. And you even look at a state like Illinois. I mean. Uh, you would think a state that'd be able to to pass really comprehensive re- reform on this issue. There's Democrats who are squeamish on doing that because of the fact that a federal judge is blocking the assault weapons ban in our state. Um, and they think that that could cause them political harm if they're passing bills that are ruled un- unconstitutional. In Illinois, you think that, Austin? 
in down downstate for sure. Yeah, but I mean, in downstate, you're not going to win no, as a even, Democrat even anyway. Suburban, no, I think even some some suburban Democrats, and you look at you know Democrats in the Quad Cities area, any kind of blue dog Democrats that are are left in the state. Um, yeah, I, I do think on that issue there is some political liability. There's some yeah. political liability in Illinois for being on the wrong side of the court ruling on the constitutionality of that law. It, for some, it, I, I would say it's a it's a marginal part of it. Remember, we have a supermajority Democrat uh, General Assembly. So, if you're a uh, near suburban suburban Cook Democrat who wins a seat there, and you are super, you pass the most anti-gun legislation in the world, mm-hmm. and it's ruled unconstitutional. There's no punishment for you. But if they're similar to what we see on things like the Safety Act or something, where there's a huge news cycle about how the courts are saying this is this is way overstepping the line it's unconstitutional yeah yeah i do think there is some cost for some of those democrats in illinois and, and we may we may actually now that, I, that we're talking about pissed off constituencies I, I think that the abortion issue is going to play a huge role in the, the elections next year and that is a pissed off constituency right there the the women who are in favor of of abortion rights are motivated and mobilized and i think that it was their votes it was their participation in the midterms that kept it from being uh, anything close to the red wave that we were predicting or fearing. So uh, I, 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 mean, I think this this motivation, this energized base idea does cut both ways. And uh, speaking of pissed off constituencies, I might also just mention uh, the George Santos story. 13 counts that he's uh, been charged with, and I uh, just saw briefly before we walked into the studio today sort of a description of them, but it's just a boilerplate being George Santos. It was a laundry list of offenses, uh, basically amplifying all the deceptions that he has uh, perpetrated over the years. What's disappointing about this is that the Republican Party has not moved to expel him or discipline him in any way. And I mean, I think, you know, he may end up he may end up uh, having to leave office because he's dragged off in chains. But but uh, it, it's it really is emblematic of the Republican Party that they aren't really distancing themselves from someone who is just as as terrible as Santos seems to be. Um, and it, and it, it gets to what we were talking about earlier with Trump. It's like, what changes anyone's mind? If, as long as you've got the red jersey on, it doesn't matter what you've done. There's a piece in BuzzFeed today, and it was jobs that Barbie has had, according to the official Barbie biography. Because, you know, over the years, Barbie's done a bunch of cool things. So her biography has expanded over the years. And then they said, OK, so we'll tell you the the job or qualification. You tell us if this is Barbie, George Santos, or both. College <laughs> graduate. Both claim to have graduated from college. Been an astronaut. Just Barbie. Okay. Uh, Landlord. Um, Descendant of Holocaust survivors. Yes. Just George Santos, not Barbie. No, no, it's claim. It's the biography, not the truth. Oh, it's just claims. Yes, just the claim. I'm wanting that Descendant of Holocaust survivors Barbie, though. Imagine her face and Frank, you know. I, I don't have the quiz in front of me, but it was pretty fun. It was pretty funny. I, I'm looking at the Picayune Sentinel. Do you want to talk about your uh, piece about Willie Wilson and his writing a commentary for the Chicago Tribune? Willie Wilson, that I saw on the campaign trail for mayor two, through two cycles, could not and almost certainly did not write this this essay that appeared in the Tribune. Um, and I took issue with some of the points that he made uh, because they seem like sort of the you know the guy at the end of the bar mouthing off about things like saying, like, you know, what we ought to do. We ought to have every grade school kid have to learn a trade. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, and, and and then he'll say something really vague, like, we need to have more protections in the contract for students against sexual predators. Well, okay, like what? Um, and, and sort of and the, his main point was that he thinks that Brandon Johnson, the uh, the new mayor, is should um, recuse himself from negotiations with the, with the Chicago Teachers Union. And... As appealing as that sounds, the mayor still has to answer for the schools until we have a fully elected school board. The mayor is going to be answering for that. 
And he may be in a position to extract some concessions and make a contract in a way that like a Paul Vallis wouldn't be able to, uh, that he has the trust of that union. He may be able to have some some good relations. And I don't think that he's going to give away the store. He's not going to you're not going to spend a ton of political capital on giving away the store. So I'm not sure that's a great idea either. But I was just overall kind of baffled and disappointed that that the Tribune gave a, a, a column a column every other week uh, to Willie Wilson, of all people. What was your take on that? Because when you said that on the radio the other day, that maybe he would be, in fact, the right guy to negotiate with the CTU, I sure didn't see that coming. I think it's true that it's much less likely that the CTU will strike under a Brenda Johnson administration. I think that's totally true. The question is, who is really representing the interests of the city at the bargaining table? This is, it's 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 as if you know I, I was an executive at uh, Boeing and I became the mayor. And my first negotiation I have to make as mayor is Boeing relocating their corporate headquarters to Chicago. Right? Like th- there absolutely is a conflict of interest there. There is largest campaign donor. There is entire political grassroots army. There is employer for ten plus years. They got him his first political job. Like. He is a part and parcel with the Chicago Teachers Union, but I don't know practically how the mayor and the administration recuses themselves from the negotiations. Like, I agree with Willie Wilson that it's a conflict of interest. But I don't think there's one. There is one with any solution except to vote another person. Well, isn't it the equivalent of a special prosecutor or something like that? I mean, you just kind of recuse. Yeah, yeah maybe you could appoint. I, I don't hate that. You appoint an independent sort of board, and that actually is what happens in theory when you reach an impasse in contract negotiations. Is essentially a judge comes in and does the contract for you. I think that would probably have a more balanced outcome for the city of Chicago than Brandon Johnson. Austin, isn't the flip side of him, of Brandon Johnson being the CTU's guy, that the CTU is his, and so he might not have to go out of his way to please them as much as another mayor would because they're sort of his gang and he can go look you know, this isn't your year, not your night, wait till two years or whatever? I would agree with that under... uh, if the CTU was sort of a traditional Chicago machine actor, I think they're highly ideologically motivated, uh, and that is not going to fly. So they're going to ask a lot of the mayor, um, and he believes in what they're asking of him. So I think he's going to bend over backward to do what the CTU wants to do because it's what he wants to do. Well, then that's different than what I was about to say because I'd like to be a fly in the room. He could say, hey, oh, by the way, I'm the boss now. You know, he could do that. I'm the captain now. He could have looked him in the eye and said, you know, you got me here, but guess what? I'm going to call the shots. You are going to have to sit on the bench a little bit. No, because he, he needs them to get reelected. He, he's not going to get reelected without them. Austin, I take all your points, but how is this really different from any public sector union negotiation? Where in in effect, the the union and the and the politicians are they're sort of on the same side of the table, right? For a lot of these these uh, negotiations, because the politicians, I think yes, I, I think the, the government sector unions and their power are are rife with conflicts of interest. I think the deck is stacked entirely in favor of those unions, and I think it's a huge problem for democracy generally the amount of power that they hold. But the CTU's scale of influence, the size of its political machine. Uh, and its extreme ideology that's out of step with a lot of the city, I think makes it a different animal entirely. I think a lot of people were making sort of the false equivalency of, you know, uh, well, the FOP endorsed Paul Vallis, so how's he going to negotiate with them? Yeah, he had the backing of the FOP, and I've publicly criticized them a lot and the amount of power that they have in negotiations, but the scale of their influence on that campaign... um, is microscopic, I think, in comparison yeah. to the CTU. Uh, although then, then, then couldn't you make the argument that the voters knew this? It was not a secret. Brandon Johnson's ties to the CTU were his calling card. It wasn't a secret. So that they voted for this, that the voters wanted to have him negotiating the school contract. I, I, know, I, mean, I think I'm in being, many ways... I'm being a little devil's yeah. advocate here. No, but, no, no. But, I yeah. think his, his administration in many ways is going to be a, a referendum on CTU's control over city government and increasingly state government. And they now are the dog that caught the mailman. Uh, and now they're <laughs> they're in charge. And we'll see what happens. Well, 
look at what happened at the Sun Times, and actually we have a bit of news, and no one seems to have covered this, but we have a letter of understanding. Uh, we seem to have a contract now uh, with the Chicago Public Media. And Chicago Public Media, you know, WBEZ, they're the definition of squishy, liberal, kumbaya. And when they started these negotiations a million years ago, they were very hardball, very, here's your, our final offer, take it, or we're going to sit Jones Day on you. Um, so, you know, they were not at all what we expected them to be. I mean, they seem to have come to an understanding finally, but it was in no way, e- even though they seemed to be a, a group that would be sympathetic to the plight of the working man, uh, when it was their wallet on the table, uh, it, it, that didn't seem to apply. And maybe Brandon Johnson has a change of heart and he says, oh, wow, now that I see what, how much money this costs, maybe we should change some things around. Maybe like there isn't enough accountability in the system. Maybe, uh, you know, we shouldn't be uh, paying to operate schools built for 1,200 kids to have 50 kids in them. Yeah, right. No matter what my ideology says about closing schools. Like, but I just... That remains to be seen is is sort of the nicest way I could say that. But, I mean, he's no fool. I mean, now that you mention it, one thing to be a candidate, another thing to win, uh, that, that, that will be on his desk now. Uh, but just one last thing, Austin, because you've talked uh, on this podcast like that before about the ideology of the CTU as though they've got grander designs than just representing the teachers in the Chicago public schools. What are you talking about other than that? What is their reach? beyond the schools in Chicago? Well, I, I encourage people to watch uh, the documentary film Local One, which in you can see the union leadership's own words about how they see the union. They see it as a new kind of militant unionism that has broad social uh, social and political demands that extend far beyond education policy. You saw this, for example, in the uh, take Kim Fox, for example, the Chicago Teachers Union is in, a, in its hundred plus year history had never made an endorsement for a state's attorney because why would they? They're a teachers union. Their function as a teachers union is to represent the interests of teachers in contract negotiations. They're a service organization. But after the election of the caucus of rank and file educators and Karen Lewis, their model changed from a service model to an organizing model. It is the political machine model. And uh, as part of that model, they are endorsing candidates like Kim Fox. They're, they're, uh, they've paid, they, they've donated to more than half of the current city council. Uh, they have their person in as mayor. They see themselves as a new kind of social justice unionism. They call it bargaining for the common good. And you see that in contract negotiations where we're not talking about things like necessarily class sizes and curriculum and things like this. You're talking about affordable housing policy. You see in Oakland right now, teachers striking for climate justice, right? It's the using of the teaching profession uh, and sort of the public goodwill towards that and weaponizing it for other political ends. Yeah, uh, That's what's different about this. Uh, you, and you say weaponizing, but I'm not sure that a collection of like-minded people, whatever got them in the room, saying we ought to get kids with good homes or do something about climate change is inherently a bad idea. I, I think it's Last a question I looked, of... the cops yeah. got a 20% raise. So I, and we we're talking about giving teachers more, perhaps. And, uh, you know, as a worst-case scenario, I can live with that. Giving um, teachers more is fine. And I think giving... Poli- and police unions have far too much power. And I think what I think is often lost is that the same legitimate criticisms of police unions, which is that they prevent accountability, they make service worse, they're actually not in it for the communities that they serve, can also be applied to the political leadership of teachers' unions. That's an interesting point. And now we're about out of time. I did want to ask you guys for a recommendation. Neil, we warned you that we were going to ask for a recommendation, something you're reading, watching, Yes, and I have an audible because it's published this week, Jonathan Igg's King of Life, a masterful biography of Martin Luther King. I recommend anyone read it. It's like having King downstairs. You can go chat with him. Um, It's just a beautifully done book. Uh, by a Chicago writer, Jonathan Igg, of great skill, and and uh, and he brings new sources that have become available, and it, it really, it, it's like reading a novel. I couldn't put it down. Huh, good to know. I was going to recommend the 100-Foot Waves series on, I think it's HBO. It's about guys that surf huge waves, many of which are found off 
Portugal. It was a location that wasn't well known in the surf community, but has these huge waves. So who surfed the biggest wave? Was it an actual wave that they would count uh, the injuries that they uh, encountered when they fall off the lifestyle of these people? And in some ways, you're kind of rooting for these guys or you're intrigued by them. But you're also reminded that they're a little bit like people that climb Mount Everest. It's, it's so egocentric. But the size of the waves and the power of them. I don't, li- I don't know that I like the people in this, but I'm also intrigued in wa- by watching it. How about you, Eric? You got something for us? I do. It's a podcast series that I just started listening to. It's called Think Twice, Michael Jackson. <clears throat> and it's on the Audible platform only right now. And it's narrated by Leon Nafok and Jay Smooth. And it's a, it's a multi-part retelling of the Michael Jackson life story. And it's really well done. Nafok in particular is a, is a really stellar podcast producer. And, and it's, it, it's really got a, do- a documentary feel. And I'm learning things about Michael Jackson that I didn't know. Uh, for instance, his, his whole involvement with the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, which I, I guess maybe I'd forgotten about this stuff rather than never knew it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but his life story is very interesting and very, and very sad in some ways and, and outrageous in other ways. And, uh, it's, it's, but it's a very balanced, interesting look at, at the Michael Jackson story. I highly recommend it. Brandon Pope did uh, recommend that as well. Uh, one last one from you, Austin. I had a couple. Uh, one, I would say I just bought tickets to go see on the last night of my honeymoon, Bob Dylan in Milan on the 4th of July, mostly so I could say that sentence because it's <laughs> funny and cartoonish. And he has this. And so now I've been going back and like going deep on Bob Dylan. That's not a movie. That's every, something you're going to do. That's a real thing. Okay. And I, like every five years, I'll get really obsessed with Bob Dylan stuff and I'll watch all this stuff again. And there's this performance I hadn't seen of his of uh, <laughs> during his sort of like evangelical Christian period of the song what can i do for you from toronto in 1980 and it is one of the most incredible musical performances i've ever seen uh i highly recommend that and then there's a tv show called jury duty that just came out it's sort of generating a lot of buzz it's kind of a social experiment tv show where uh there is a trial that is held where everybody in the trial including the judge and the jurors and everybody in the room is an actor and one person is a real person who doesn't know that everybody else is an actor. And it's a series about the trial. It's like a Truman uh, Truman show uh, <laughs> trial. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, really funny and interesting and good. Huh. Uh, back to Milan for a second. So are you going to go to Milan to see Bob Dylan? Is that really going to happen? I'm going. Well, we're going to Italy for our honeymoon, and we happened to be flying out of Milan the next day, and Bob Dylan happened to be playing. And I'd never seen him, and I love Bob Dylan. So that is my congratulations, by the way, Austin. That's thank exciting. You, thank you. Yeah, thank how you. fortuitous for you! Wow, wow. But we, how long you, you were married? What last summer or something? Yeah, like I, was, I was married <laughs> in September, and it was election season, and uh, my COVID. wife was a public school teacher, so she had school. Uh, so we waited till this summer. So nice. this nice. summer. So when are you when are you heading out? End of June. I'll be out at the end of June. Oh, wow. So when people ask you, so is the honeymoon over, you can say, no, it's not. No, it's endless. It's never ending. It's <laughs> over when Bob says it's over. <laughs> Well, that's uh, intriguing. Well, uh, send us a postcard. Tell us how the concert is when you get back. I'm interested in that. That's Austin Berg. You heard Eric Zorn and uh, Neil Steinberg. Guys, thanks for uh, being part of the podcast again this week. Neil, keep writing, and thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Always fun. And uh, can I, uh, just, Austin, can you send me a link? Do you have is there a YouTube on that uh, Bob Dylan performance that you really Here. liked? Is there? I'm going to send it right now. <laughs> this is like watching someone it's also he's so wrapped in artifice and all this stuff and he's clearly so sincere about this and it's like you see him like touch god it's so good it's really great all right i, I i'll include a link to that in the sentinel tomorrow so nice. uh, and also a link to, uh, to jonathan Ike's book, which i'm also eager to read so that well, sounded good thank you man always a pleasure Nice to see you guys. Adios. Talk soon. Thanks, John. You bet. Thank you, boys. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams. We'll drop another pot on you next week. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 